going to step away from the book I've been in for, for quite some time, Galatians. I'm almost done with it, but I'm going to step away for it, from it for a few Sundays and just talk about, uh, you know, this day that we're, most of us are celebrating, a lot of people know about. Um, and I want to take a different approach. Um, many people celebrate this day annually, and I was led to do something a little bit different. I've been studying the events and the context. My dad, through his preaching, taught me a lot about context and looking at not just what you see in your text, but looking all around it. Amen. So you can get a good understanding of what's happening. And there are, lead, there are events that are leading up to this Palm Sunday that we uh, are celebrating. Um, and there's some things that we, I, I want us to look at because it shows the heart of not just the people, but it shows the heart of our Savior uh, and what it, Jesus seems to be thinking about, what seems to be pressing on Jesus' mind during this time when people were celebrating on Palm Sunday years ago. And it seems to be that at this time in the scriptures on that Palm Sunday, that whatever was on Jesus' mind was not on the people's mind. There's a vast difference, great difference between the two. And I just want to point out some things. I want to talk to you today um, from the sermon title, Fake worshipers. Fake worshipers. Now, traditionally, uh, you know, some churches you walk in on Palm Sunday, they got palms and they got ribbons and praise dancers. And folks are spinning around and everybody's having a good celebration. And, everybody has, you know, there's lots of high-sounding music and everybody's excited, as we should be. But when you look in the context of Scripture, there's two things going on. The people are celebrating, but Jesus isn't. We've got to be careful what we do as far as religion. I'm a person of text. I like to look at what it says in text, and if it says it in text, I preach, and if it doesn't, throw it out. Amen? All right, let's set this up. Luke 19. Keisha, did you get my scriptures? I tried to send them to you as soon as you did not. Okay, good. You got my back? Great. Y'all give a hand for Keisha. She's on it. Amen. Luke 19, 35 through 38, the King James Version. There we go. All right, we're getting better. Here we go. The Word of God says here, and they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, which is meaning there's more than the 12 at this point, okay? The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A lot of people know the Matthew version of the scripture was like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? All right. All right. So, I just kind of want to set this up because there's some context here that I think we should see before we get into this 19th chapter. And I'm going to try to teach the bulk of it if I have time. Luke 9 now. Let's go back to Luke 9. Same book, earlier chapter. Luke 9, 29 through 32. Luke 9, 29 through 30, 32. Keisha, we will be in Luke 19 for most of this sermon. Amen. But Luke 9, 29 through 32. Here we go. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. This is the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus Christ was transfigured before his three trusted disciples. You guys remember that? Jesus is praying and his countenance was altered and his raiment was white 
and glistening, and behold, there talked with him two men which were, wow, Moses and Elias, amen, who appeared in glory and spake of his, Jesus Christ, decease. Interesting word. They are talking with Jesus about his decease, his departure that is getting ready to take place. They're talking with Jesus before he gets to Jerusalem. They're talking with Jesus about Jesus getting ready to go away. They're talking about his decease. They're talking about his, de- his death. They're having a meeting. Amen? It speak of Jesus' his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. So it's interesting that's hap- what's happening here is Jesus is having a meeting about his crucifixion. And the disciples during the meeting part don't hear the meeting. They're asleep. They missed the meeting. But when they wake up, it says, uh, when they were awake, they saw his glory. And the two men that stood with him. So basically, what's happening here is there's a misunderstanding on the disciples' part as far as what happened in the meeting. They don't really know. Watch this. Luke 9, same chapter. Skip down to the 42nd verse. There's a man here that comes here and he's got this child who is possessed of the devil or is dealing with demonic issues here. And it says in verse 42, and as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him, tear this man's son. Amen. He threw this man's son down. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed. There's another crowd. They're amazed at the mighty power of God. But while everyone wondered, rather, but while they wondered everyone at all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, not to the crowd, to his boys, he said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them, and they perceived it not. Now, I personally believe here that they heard Jesus clearly. And I don't think that God was not allowing the disciples to understand what Jesus was saying. I don't think that God himself, the Father, was working against Jesus' words and somehow hid them from the minds or the hearts of the disciples. I believe what was happening here is that they don't want to hear what Jesus is saying. Their hearts are not ready to take in what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying some things that are hard for them to hear. I mean, let's just think about it. Things are going well. Jesus' popularity is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they are rolling with Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, when, when, um, you know, if I were to go out to dinner with Quincy Jones or somebody that was big in the record business and, you know, and Quincy Jones comes up and, and we roll up in his Bentley and I get out the Bentley with Quincy Jones and I come to a restaurant that I normally can't get in because I ain't nobody. But I'm rolling a cue. You know, I, I'm riding a cue, so I walk up, you know. We're with him. And so they let me in because of the fact that Quincy Jones eats there all the time, or Quincy Jones has more star quality than I do, right? So I'm just in the entourage, but, you know, I kind of just get to get in because I am hanging out with Q, amen? But then Q, after we have some food, Quincy Jones comes and tells me, he says, listen, after we go to the Grammys, I'm going to get shot. Now, I heard what he said, but I don't really want to hear what he said. Because I ain't nobody. You know, I'm just little Jamie Hawkins riding around with Quincy Jones. Think of the disciples. 
They're rolling with someone, Jesus Christ, who has real star power. And they're just fishermen. They're nobody. Nobody recognizes who they are. They don't care who they are. But because they're with Jesus, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, you don't know how long it took me to get here. I'm finally being recognized as somebody who hangs with Jesus. <laughs> are you following me? And now Jesus tells me, I'm about to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm about to go, what, what are you, wait. I don't believe that somehow they were spiritually, you know, blinded by God to keep this. I think their hearts wouldn't allow them to take in what Jesus is saying. Why? Because something's blinding them. Something is blinding them. It took me too long to get here. I think it's something in their own hearts that's blinding them. Amen? All right. Now, fast forward. Jesus has been feeding thousands of people, healing people, casting out demons, doing every kind of miracle that you can think of. And just when you think he can't get even more popular, Jesus does the unthinkable. What does he do? He raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. Ooh, it's on now. And the people all around are saying, could this be? I don't know. Maybe he's the one. I mean, he's huge. Or as I say in record business, huge. You're huge, baby. Could he be the one? People are wondering, is this the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Now, on the heels of that, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. But before he gets to Jerusalem, he has to pass through this town called Jericho. Now get me our text scripture, Luke 19, verse 1. Help me, Lord. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Remember that name. It's very important. Which was the chief among the publicans. And he was very rich. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's in the province of Jericho. Jericho at this time is like New York. It's huge. They're making tons of money. And all of that money has to be taxed by the Romans. And guess who gets to be the person who sees the money first? Zacchaeus. Okay? So he's, he's rolling in dough. Okay? It said that at that time, Jericho was more popular and more prosperous than many of the other prosper, uh, provinces around that area. So he's got the job, the position, location, location, location. All right? Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And he could not for the press because he was little of stature. So he's like Paisley's size. And he's trying to see Jesus, but big old Clemas is sitting in front of him. And he, <laughs> and he just can't see. He's a small guy. All right? All right, verse 4. And he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was to pass that way. We've got this tax collector who is a sinner. He's the worst kind of sinner. He's one of those people that are doing his folks in, and he's cooking the books, and he's skimming off the top. So the Romans are charged a certain price, and then Zacchaeus says, actually, the price is this price. And then he takes his this price <laughs> and gives the Romans what they asked for, not realizing that he's asked them for more. And he's doing this to his own people. He's a thief. He's greedy. Amen? He's covetous. Amen. And, by the way, they hate him. Because they know he's no good. Amen? All right. 
Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, which is interesting because Zacchaeus getting up in a tree is very, very interesting and not really, you know, something that would go with his character because he's got enough money where he can have people put him on their shoulders or raise him up. So this is really beneath Zacchaeus to climb himself up with all his Gucci on in a tree just so he could see over Clamas. Are you kidding the picture? All right, I hope I'm, getting, hope I'm making this plain. Help me, Lord. Jesus looks up and he sees him in the tree and he says unto him, verse 5, make haste, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. This is a no-no. Because he is the worst kind of sinner. The Jews don't do that. They don't like the Gentiles and they don't hang with the Gentiles, but they will really, really despise somebody who would do the things that Zacchaeus is doing to his own people. You follow me? Verse 6. And he made haste and came down and received him, received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be the guest. Jesus Christ was going to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, watch this. This is key. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Remember that. Coming back to that. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold, which is the law. But he's going above the law here. Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to give half my stuff to the poor. And if I've tricked people, I'm going to give fourfold of the theft back. Four times as much. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham. Here's the thing, people. You got folks been walking around with Jesus for a while now, and they run into Zacchaeus, who they know is a known sinner. And Jesus said something rather interesting. I'm going to go to the sinner's house, receive him. Zacchaeus is going to receive me, which is a no-no. Then Jesus turns in and says to him, after Zacchaeus makes this promise of repentance, that today, now y'all think y'all all are sons of Abraham. But I tell you that Zacchaeus, the one you hate, the lowest of lows, he is a true son of Abraham. Why? I receive him, verse 10 says, because for the Son of Man is come to seek and save the, that which was lost. Amen? We'll come back to that. Verse 11. And they that heard these things, as they heard, rather, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Why? Because he's near to Jerusalem, number one, and because they that... <sighs> They that thought those, uh, because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear, appear, brother. Jesus tells them that Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham because he has shown that he's a true son of Abraham because he has repented. Because repentance is what is needed for you to be reunited with God. Amen. He's willing to let go of his riches just to be received by Christ. But the people are murmuring and complaining because Jesus is going into the house of a sinner. But as Jesus hears them murmuring and complaining, and because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the whole world, Jesus decides and says, this is the perfect time for me to teach you something. Are you listening? Hang with me. And he's teaching a parable. This is my point. He's teaching them a parable that goes against their erroneous thinking 
This thinking that says, now is the time for the kingdom to come. Now is the time for us to relax. Now is the time for it to be on and popping. Now is the time for us to get everything we've wanted to get. Now is the time for it to be easy street. Jesus is going up there and telling them, no, your thinking is incorrect. Hang with me. The kingdom of God was not going to begin immediately. So Jesus tells them a parable. And this is very similar to the parable of the talents, but actually it's called the parable of Minas. The parable of Minas is very similar, but it has a slight, you know, a few different points that kind of uh, make the same point as the parable of talents. But it's kind of more geared toward the church as far as them understanding what the church is here to do. Okay? Help me, Holy Spirit. Verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy until I come. All right. So Jesus is saying that there's a wealthy king. And he's got these servants. And he gives to his servants a certain amount of money, a certain amount of gifts, a certain amount of stewardship, responsibility. Okay? All right? And he's saying here, now, I'm going to go away, but I want you to occupy until I come. In other words, stay busy working with what I gave you. Use what I gave you to, to make more with what I've given you. Use what, I've ga- what I gave you basically to, to multiply. Amen? So if I give you, you've heard this before, if I give you five, I should see ten. Right? You know, it should, there should be some multiplication. Amen? All right. Hang with me. Verse uh, 15. And it came to pass, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to be called to him, unto him, to whom he had given money, that he might know how much every man gained by his trading. So there's a man who's been given a, a whole lot. There's a man who's given, you know, kind of a middle level. And there's a man that's been given one. We've heard this parable before, right? But it's slightly different. It's the parable of minas, which is not the same thing as the parable of talent. The mina is a little bit lesser in value than the talent, okay? So it's not exactly the same parable. This is not a synoptic gospel thing where you're seeing the exact same story told in the exact same way. This has a slightly different meaning. All right? So I don't want you to confuse that with the, what, the parable you've heard before. All right. So it came to pass that he received his kingdom, and then he commanded the servants to be called to him to give, the money, uh, give an account for the money they've been given. Right? And then verse 16 says, all right. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound, your money, your gift, your stewardship thing that you've given me to do, your gift Thy pound hath gained 10 pounds, okay? The Lord gave you something, and that something that he gave you, you multiplied it, you've doubled it, all right? And then verse 17, the master says unto him, well, thy good servant, versus well done, thy good and faithful servant, which it says in other, trans, I mean, uh, other, other gospels. But he says, well, thy good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little uh, have thou authority over ten cities. Wow. Remember that. And in verse 18, and the second king, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And likewise he said to him, be thou also over five cities. So what's happening is I've given you something. You've given me back. You've made good on what I've given you. You've been responsible for it. You've doubled it, and now I'm not saying go rest and chill. I'm saying, good, I can trust you. Now I'm going to give you some more responsibility. Remember that. When we go to heaven, some people have this idea, when we get our rewards in heaven, we're going to be floating on some cloud naked with wings, and we ain't doing nothing. 
That is not what your Bible says. Okay? Party is over. We rest. We rest from this thing where we have to work to earn salvation or to work to earn good favor with God. But it doesn't mean you're going to be in heaven doing nothing. No, he's going to reward you with more responsibility. The difference will be you won't hate working. Ooh. You'll have more work to do, but your mindset about work will be changed. How about that? What if you walked into your job and you felt really good about your supervisor? Now, that would be a miracle. There's glorification right there. (laughs) So what I'm trying to explain to you, saints, he's correcting this idea that the kingdom of God is coming and everybody could just relax. You're going to get everything you want and don't have to do anything. Okay? Keep, stay with me. Help me, Holy Spirit. Now, verse 20. And another servant came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Wow. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thy own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taken up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then givest not thou my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own usury. He's saying, you knew that I was tough. Out of your own mouth you said I was tough. But what you did with what I gave you is you sat on it. You didn't do anything with it. And you feared me. That's a lie. Because if you really feared me, you would be taking whatever the master has given you and using it for his glory to make sure you double on it. So you're lying. You're not telling the truth. You're not being truthful. What you're basically doing is being a lazy, wicked servant who has been given a responsibility and a stewardship, and you do nothing with what God has given you. And then you blame God as if he's been so harsh as to why that's the reason why you're not working. When the truth of the matter is, is you took your ease. Ooh, you kicked back. God gave you gifts. God gave you money. God gave you responsibility. God has given you all kinds of things to function on this planet. And the king is coming back. And he's expecting that there is some kind of return on what he has given. But we use the excuse because there's something in our hearts that doesn't really want to deal with the fact that God is expecting something from his church. We don't like that. Why? Because we really don't want to work. What we really want to do is party. Oh, what we really want to do is kick back, lay back, give me my wings so I can lay up on this cloud. (laughs) If you really believe that the master was a hard man, you would have had even more incentive to use whatever God has given you for his glory. If you really feared God, you'd have done something with what he's given you. Amen? No excuses. What is he saying? So yesterday, just give me an example. Yesterday, I get a phone call from my insurance company. I, I called them. And I said, listen, I need to make some changes to my policy. And they said, yeah, no problem, but we'll call you back. So they called me back. You know how you do that little digital thing. They take down your number. They call you back so you're going to wait in line. They call me back. I get online. I'm talking to this young man. He's about, about 22 years old. His name is Justin. I'll give his name because I think it's kind of interesting that you hear the story. And Justin is going through the policy and I'm starting to feel like, you know, this man is taking forever. I just want to make a slight change. Uh, Mr. Hawkins, do you know that you need to change this? And you probably, can I give you some advice about this? Because you're not really adequately covered for what you have. Your bill is cheap, but I would tell you, Mr. Hawkins, you need more coverage. And I'm like, are you trying to sell me? I'm just trying to make this quick. I got six kids. I need to get in that house. 
I'm out here talking to you for 30, almost 40 minutes. He's kind of getting on my nerves. There's something else I have to do. So he's like, you know, he's trying to talk, and I'm like, you know, he just feels like he's a salesman. And I'm like, oh, I don't really, really have time. The Holy Spirit is just kind of like, Jamie, be Christian. Don't misrepresent Jesus trying to change your insurance policy. I calm down. So what do you do, sir? I'm a pastor. What did you say, sir? I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? Well, I haven't been to church in years. My mind wants to get to what I want to get to. Oh. Then here comes the backup. Sister Sonny just happened to climb in the car with the baby. And she's listening to the telephone. Is this really happening? Now the pressure's on. (laughs) All right. Obviously, the Lord wants me to use my gift. At this time, when I would say it's inconvenient, do you know what ends up happening? All that brother needed to know is that he needed to be assured that he was saved. And then he starts telling me stuff, and I'm sitting there listening, I'm going, and the Holy Spirit's like, he's a porn addict. How do I know? Because I used to be one. And I just asked questions. I said, have you used porn? He said, that's the thing. How did you know that? I said, okay, Lord. So I start walking him through that. Start talking with him through that. This conversation is like about an hour now. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So the Lord is just kind of like, no, your time is mine. Your energy is mine. Your insurance is mine. All that stuff. And I end up telling him, I said, listen, before I get off this phone, I don't want you to talk about whether or not I'm fully covered. I want to make sure you're fully covered. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That happened just yesterday at around 4 o'clock. Use what you have been given for the glory of God. This is not the time for us to look for the party. It ain't happening yet. All right, let me finish this part up and then we go to the last part. Because we got to talk about Palm Sunday. And trust me, we're getting there. All right. So take whatever you have given as you've seen before in the other parables, verse 24. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath 10 pounds. Verse 25. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds. For I, and he says, for I say unto you that unto everyone which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, Bring hither and slay them before me. So he goes into this town, this area, this country, wants to subdue it, leaves his people there, his representatives, gives them gifts and abilities and whatever it is, talents, money, however you want to look at that, because that's pretty much what it is. He wants them to be a good steward and give him, give God a return on this. The people there obviously don't want to be conquered, right? So they're upset about it. And then Jesus comes back. Because that's what this is really talking about. He comes back and he says, listen, those that did not want me to rule over them, cut them up before me. And that wicked servant that would not do what I told him to do with what I gave him and wanted to lollygag and use up all the time and energy that I gave him for his own purposes and then blame me for it, throw him in there too. Just cut everybody up. Cut them up. Cut them up. That's hard. Now, I want you to understand, saints. Watch this. This is heavy. Verse 28. Jesus says this right before he's getting ready to go to his Hosanna Grammy party or or whatever you want to call it. Palm Sunday. That's the parable right before the celebration where everybody's bringing the palm trees. Wow. Wow. That's a very different setup, isn't it? When you think about it. That's a very different setup. Verse 28. 
And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. So now he's going into Jerusalem, into the place where on the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where Moses and Elijah are talking to him about the meeting where the disciples were asleep, which is why they didn't know what he was really there to do and got caught up in the hype. The people are enjoying you. You're really popular. And we're rolling with you. We were Quincy Jones. Are you hearing me? They're missing it. They don't really know. They don't understand what it's really about. So when Jesus tells them hard things, like, i got to be handed over unto, you know, uh, the Son of Man has to be turned over to, to, the, to the Romans to be killed, they won't receive it. Why? Because, no, this, is, this can't be why you're, why you're here. No, the people got, come on, Lord, look, look, we're going to Jerusalem. The hype is what it, there's a whole lot of, you know, press on you right now. And we're rolling with you. This is great. We've been waiting for this. I was tired of being a fisherman. I want to be a superstar. Like you. <laughs> Are you seeing it? All right. So now, verse 29. Here we go. This word turns curve. And it came to pass when he was come nigh unto Bethphage. Did I do that? No, Bethphage. Yeah, that's it. Bethphage. There you go. And Bethany which means house of the poor. Bethphage means uh, unripe figs. At the mount called Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you in the which at your entering, at your entering ye shall find a coat tied whereon ye never man, uh, uh, ye never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. We've heard the story, right? And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of it. And they brought him to Jesus, the colt, and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. So Jesus says, get me a colt, a young colt, a baby colt. I'm about to go to my big celebration where all the hype is on me. And don't go get a Bentley. Go get a Pinto. And... Fix up the seats. Put some clothes on it if you got to, to soften up the cushion, to make the ride a little more comfortable. I'm not coming on a white horse just yet. This time I'm going to come in on a donkey. Total different mindset. When people come in and they are getting their props, don't you know that if I'm rolling to the Grammys, I'm going to rent me a something. It's going to be nice, right? Not Jesus. Jesus is like, put me on the bus. I'm about to go to where everybody's going to hand me awards and worship me. But don't put me on no white stallion. Put me on a bus. Put me on a donkey. Put me on a young coat. Put me on a pinto. Wow. Are you getting the picture here? <laughs> All right, where was I at? And the Lord said they hadn't needed him. Okay, and he went and they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, remember I said there was the 12 and then there was all these other disciples that kind of got added in, you know, and then there's all this huge crowd. There's a bunch of people there, Amen. And the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Amen. Which is a prophecy, just so you know, in Zechariah 9.9. Can you turn, turn there? It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's coat. This prophecy was given over 450 to 500 years before this happened. 
Isn't that amazing? Holy Spirit told Zechariah, no, he's not coming in Bentley. Those prosperity teachers are wrong. That's not what this is about. They got the wrong idea. You don't need more faith to get $5 million. What if God don't want you to have $5 million? You going to still love him? Are you hearing me? Are you seeing it? He's riding on a coat. Told us a long time ago what this is really about. But the people are not really ready to hear that. Because there's something going on in the heart. They want to worship Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons. Ugh. All right. Keep going. Verse 38, back to Luke 19:38. All right. So the whole multitude of disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. They're praising him, and they're saying, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Other virgins say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the Lord in the highest. Right? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord that cometh, the man that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's what they're saying. All right? And then verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. In other words, he's saying they shouldn't speak these blasphemous things about you because you ain't God. Jesus says to him, He says, I tell you that these, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, most people on Palm Sunday get excited about that. And I've heard preachers, preachers after preachers, you know, make whole sermons where everybody gets up and runs around. You know, you better not let no rocks breach your praise, honey. <laughs> and everybody tries to outpraise a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and the church members run all around, everybody gets a bunch of exercise, and they tear up the church. I don't really think that's what God was saying there. If you look at the context, it's saying something very different. He was saying that the praise of God's Son is inevitable. Okay? Only people whose hearts are not hard and cold will praise God. But the people whose hearts are cold, cold as stones, they will refuse to give honor to Jesus. The context is not talking about the praisers. The context is talking about the Pharisees. He's saying that the Pharisees' hearts are harder than unresponsive, lifeless rocks. That's what he's saying. Not for us to get out and try to outpraise rocks. It's for us to look at our hearts and say, wait a minute. Do we worship Jesus for the right reasons? Do we believe that he is God? Do we know that Jesus is God? Move on, Jamie. 41. And when he was come near, 41, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hast known, even thou at the, last, at the least in, the, in this day, thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground. They're going to level the place. And the children with thee. Wow. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Okay. So let's put this together. Jesus is going to the party. Everybody's excited but Jesus. They're giving him worship. He's not telling them to outpraise rocks. He's telling them that your hearts don't need to be cold and hard as rocks. Are you hearing me? And he's saying that there's a problem. And the key to this thing is back in verse 9. Verse 9. Jesus said unto him, this day, Zacchaeus, is salvation come to this house? For so much is he also a true son of God. Zacchaeus is the lowest of lows. Nobody likes him in the eyes of the people. He is the worst type of sinner. He's working for the oppressors and he's cooking the books. He's skimming up off the top to make a fortune for himself. He's like the local drug dealer 
who sells drugs to his own people, who are already in the ghetto and not CEOs. Are you hearing me? These people are having a hard time. They can't handle a bunch of stuff. They can't handle a bunch of heartache. But here he comes with drugs to enslave the people. They're barely getting by. And Zacchaeus is the kind of person who would basically rob those people. Are you hearing me? But that's not how Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Jesus says, I don't care if you're the lowest of lows. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've been doing it with. If you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you shall be saved. I'll clean up your life. I'll change your position with God. I'll give you the promises of of Abraham as your inheritance, and it won't matter what everybody else thinks about you. When Jesus saves you, you are now a true child of God, and nobody can change that. So what I'm saying to you, saints, is this. Zacchaeus is the one, ironically, out of everybody that's got the right heart. Everybody else is throwing a party, and Zacchaeus is the only one who's clued in to what this is really about. Oh, my goodness. Jesus wept when he saw the city because the people didn't recognize that their God was coming to them. So Jesus told them that they would soon suffer because of their rejection of the truth, their rejection of, uh, of turning from their wickedness, their rejection of repenting. How many of us have clearly seen the Bible, clearly seen it explained, heard the preaching about Jesus, seen Jesus for who he is, and still rejected him? Are you hearing me? How many people will will falsely worship Jesus Christ, you know, and, and think that Jesus Christ is here to do something completely different, and then as soon as Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do, your Hosanna... Your blessed be the name of the Lord changes in two days to crucify him. Are you hearing me? Zacchaeus is the only one in this whole crew, in this whole crowd, who is totally understanding why we need to be celebrating. I got one hand clap in the back, Pastor Rick. It's okay. Here we go. Laying down cloaks in front of Jesus, in palm trees, in front of Jesus, when you refuse to lay down your life? That's not it. Ironically, Jesus is about to lay down his life for people who refuse to lay down their lives. And the people are celebrating Jesus and saying, whoa, this is a great celebration. We're so happy that you're here. We're going to make you king. You must be the Messiah. You must be. We want. Yeah, I mean, look at all the miracles you can do. It's got to be about that. Isn't Isn't that why you came? No, actually, I didn't. I came to give my life because you refused to give yours. Happy Palm Sunday. When you see it in context, that's what's really happening. The one person who is not happy on this day is Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So the question is, is this is about Jesus' triumphant entry. The real question is, is, has Jesus entered your heart and triumphed over you? Are you someone who has been transformed by him? Are you someone who is able to receive what he really came to do. Is it about real worship? Or are you a fake worshiper? Are we worshiping Jesus for what we want? See, here's the thing. You know how it is. They wanted to be free of the Romans, free of oppression, free of Zacchaeus, free of the taxes, just like us. Lord, pay my student loans. Lord, I don't like bills. I don't want to have to go to work. Can you do something about my baby daddy? My wife ain't acting right. Can you fix all my problems? I'll worship you then. I'll throw palms down at you then. I'll take off my coat and put it on a donkey for you then. But if you're trying to fix me, well, I don't want any part of that deal. If you're saying I'm the problem, I don't want any part of that deal. If that's the case, 
then crucify you, Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. Fake worship. But Zacchaeus, he didn't care what everybody else thought about him. Zacchaeus was like, I want to be in the family of God. And they talk dirt about me. They talk really bad about me. And yes, guess what? It's true. I did all that. I did that and then some. I am the worst sinner. Paul said, you know, this is a true statement and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And he said he is the worst sinner of them all. But the truth is, is if I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care who you did it with, I don't care who you did it for, I don't care anybody. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. What he cares about is, are you humble enough to get up in that tree and do whatever you got to do to get a good look at Jesus? Because he's the only one that can save your soul. And whether or not he gives you everything that you think you ought to have or not, that's okay. I'll let it all go. See, Zacchaeus was going to give up all of his money. That money that he made, if he gave up half of it to the poor, and then he did four times as much as far as what he stole from everybody, he would be completely and totally bankrupt. Completely and totally bankrupt. He's saying, I don't care. All I want is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And he don't have to have a palm that I can throw in him. He can have my life. He can have my life. I'm done. <laughs>